Hello and welcome. Today you'll be hearing from Marilyn McCormick. Marilyn was ordained in 1996 at Grand Bay Baptist Church. She has served in numerous churches and ministries, including children's, youth, family, and music ministry. Marilyn shares about her experience with depression and how it impacted her work. She also talks about how she grew in confidence and eventually came to a sense of certainty that she was called to serve. My dad was a Baptist pastor, and uh, he was the pastor in Arcadia, just outside of Yarmouth, when I was born. Uh, and then we moved to Billtown, where he studied at Acadia University. And then we moved to Temple Baptist Church in Barrington Passage. Um, so I grew up in the church. We didn't have anything like children's church when I was a kid. So we sat through the service. And my older brother was the one that was supposed to be the pastor in the family. And uh, that didn't work out so well. You know, church was something everybody went to back then. My older brother tells me that he had an atheist for a Sunday school teacher. It was just uh, something everybody did. That You know, the heydays of the 60s. But back then, nobody ever thought a woman might be a, become a pastor. My father always said he, would, he wouldn't walk across the street to hear a woman preach. So was it 1954? They had a vote on the ordination of women at convention, and my dad voted against it. So that was when he was younger. I felt I wanted to work with children and youth. It was from working at, working at camp. But I found a piece of paper one time when I was cleaning stuff up. And uh, I think it was in a, an old Bible I had when I was a youth. And it said, I had written on the paper that I wanted to be in full-time ministry. So uh, I knew it was always on my heart and mind at that point. I got my undergraduate degree. And then I took an education degree at Acadia. Taught school for a year, but wasn't my thing. I was teaching junior high, and I thought, no, this isn't something I want to do. But my passion and creativity was more with the Bible. I decided to uh, go to Acadia to take the Master's of Religious Education degree because it was it was not really a pastoral stream of ministry because I, I never felt really the call to pastoral ministry. And I always struggled with the sense of the call. And I think this influenced me some too. When, uh, when I was in my undergrad at Acadia, there were women at the Divinity College, but some of them had a chip on their shoulder. Rather than feeling a call to ministry, they just wanted to make a statement to the college and the convention about being a woman and being in ministry. But then there were other people who were part of the college. Um, remember um, Ida Armstrong Whitehouse? She's one of the few that I can remember from that time. And she didn't have that edge that these other people have. Of course, I didn't know her very well, but there were a few other women that were there, but didn't seem to be a lot. Nashwalk Cis Baptist Church here in Fredericton was my first full-time church. But I didn't have the same benefits as a pastor, even, you know, things like housing or medical or any of those things. Uh, one man in the church took it upon himself to make sure that I got those benefits. Um, I felt like I was hired, not called. I was director of Christian education. I was there for almost, well, three and a half years. I did more supervising of the children's program, but I was hands-on with the youth. And um, those people that were in that youth group, I'm still good friends with today. They give me credit for, <laughs> which, is, which is nice of them, for their spiritual growth. But I was quite shy. And um, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I had confidence if I knew what I was doing, but sometimes I didn't feel I knew what I was doing. 
had a struggle with depression, and uh, that's why I had to I had to quit the ministry at that point, and which I was out for four years. I worked at a hotel, but I was involved in my church during that time. I stayed at the same church, did things that I wanted to do. Uh, there were several friends who were very supportive, and some of the youth that I had been involved with were were actually quite supportive. Um, not the pastoral staff, or not the pastor so much, um, because I was pretty quiet. People didn't know when I was depressed. You know, I was just able to hide it so well. Um, it was a very private thing. Um, they thought everything was going well, that I was doing fine, and I always had a smile on my face. And But most people said, well, if ministry makes you feel this way, maybe you should do something else. But it doesn't matter what I did when I was teaching school, I ran into a problem. I didn't know it then, but I ran into a problem with depression when I was teaching school. When I was in university, I ran into a problem with depression. And when I was working at the hotel, there would be months where I would just be going through the motions. There wasn't really anything I could do. One, one woman, I think, had the right answer. She said, you need to take medication. And the medication I had taken didn't help. But since then, there have been some better, a lot better medications, which um, now it's under control. But, you know, up until 1999, it wasn't under control. It's be these, these waves of depression and good times. And my good times were just kind of normal, that I could accomplish things and do things well. Sometimes I think I did things better when I was depressed, but <laughs> that's pride. <laughs> But I don't, I don't think anybody or anything could have been done to give me help at that point. I just had to walk through it and get to the place where I knew for sure that God was calling me. Yeah, I was out for four years, and then I was at uh, Greenwood Drive Baptist Church here in Fredericton. They called me to be uh, part-time Christian education and youth and part-time church secretary. So I could do both those things. So I did that for a while. But but again, depression was always there. I had never gotten over it. And so I would be down for a month feeling down. And then I'd have a couple of good months and where I'd get a lot of things done. And I always managed to press on, even though I was feeling depressed. But it came to the point where I knew I had to quit for my own sanity. So I did, and I decided, after three years at Greenwood Drive, I decided that I was going to go back to university, take computer science, uh, do something different. I ended up with a summer job at Green Hill Lake Camp, and um, I had a summer job there, and I was just so burnt out. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work with kids. I didn't want to have to do anything, and so I was maintenance, and I was mowing lawns and cleaning toilets and things like that. And I had applied to university and I'd been accepted and I had student loan all arranged. It was probably the middle of August. And one day I was walking, just walking across the, uh, the campus of the camp. And I heard the voice of God as clear as anything. Marilyn, you don't want to go back to university. Your heart is in Christian education ministry. And that point on, I have never doubted that God has called me to ministry. And uh, that has made a big difference in my life. 
Then this uh, job opened up at the Baptist Convention for um, Director of Christian Training. I felt like I should apply, so I applied, and, and lo and behold, I got the job. I was coming home from the interview and was crying on the way home from Moncton because I felt I had bombed the interview. And then a couple of days later, I heard that I got the job. So that's the way I am, right? It's just I never feel like I'm good enough. But I knew God had called me, and uh, I was with the convention for eight years. That was a real growing point in my life because I knew I was called to this ministry. I had a heart for Christian education. I, I wanted to help churches be able to teach and train people. So that made a big difference in my life. I started there in 1993. Harry Gardner was the executive minister of convention at that time. I guess when I started working for the convention, I gained some confidence. People like the staff were very helpful in, uh, in encouraging me. Uh, that was probably where I got the most help, the most confidence and lost my shyness and was able to do more things, not necessarily better, but with more confidence. And in 1996, I decided that I should be ordained. If I felt called to the CE ministry, that I should be ordained for ministry in Christian education. If I was leading churches and pastors, I had seen people in CE ministries become ordained. So I knew it was possible. And I I've had this sense from working with the convention that if I'm doing this, this is something I need to do is to be ordained. You're doing, you're doing this ministry. You need to be recognized for the gifts that you have for, those, for that ministry. And so that's when I went for ordination and uh, made it through. <laughs> Lovely experience, ordination council. If you've never experienced it, you ought to. I think it's a lot better now. There was, uh, I had one vote against me, which I think was pretty standard for a lot of women. I also knew there were people on there at the time who asked questions that couldn't be answered. The type of questions, not not particularly this one, but how many angels can dance on the pin, you know, at end of a needle, you know, those kind of things that were like, um, is God going to save all of those who've never heard about Jesus? And um, I don't know. That's up to God. He's, he knows. I don't know. Now, Dr. McRae was the uh, president of ABC at the time. He was the one who moderated it. He was very helpful and supportive during the interview process as well. My dad was on board at that point. He'd, he'd realized that, okay, maybe I was a little too tough on women back when I was younger. My, my dad was there, actually. I felt positive. Now, the church I was attending, Grand Bay Baptist Church, Harry Gardner went there, Malcolm Beckett. But I'm not sure the church was actually pro-women in ministry. But because I was being ordained to the Ministry of Christian Education, the church did ordain me. Um, but I'm not sure they would have if I had, if it had been to, quote, pastoral ministry. Uh, Reverend David Cook, Dr. Cook, he was, he was very supportive. I said to his wife when, when Dave died, I, I said, I always appreciated how much Dave supported me, even though I know he might not have been such a big fan of women in ministry. And she said, well, he was a big fan of Marilyn McCormick. So that, that really meant a lot to me. There just seems to be an undercurrent of, well, I'm not really in favor of women in the pulpit, and let's not get too many women in the pulpit, but 
you know, but we have to, we have to ordain women. I don't know if that's true or if that's just the feeling I've grown up with because in the seventies, it was hard for a woman to get ordained unless she was in a more forward thinking liberal type church, I guess. Back in the early eighties, I served on the board of directors of Green Hill Lake Camp as secretary and to serve on the board, you had to be a man. You know, that's what it was like. When I would go to pastor's things, I might be the only woman. You know, they would look to the man to be the one in charge, even when it might not have been. Even in events, when I would be there with other pastors, and it would be like I should be with their wives instead of with the pastors, even though I wasn't a wife, and I, but I was a pastor especially being in Fredericton. Nova Scotia is much more open to women in ministry than New Brunswick. And that area was very closed for years to the ordination of women and um, women in the pulpit. I stayed with the convention uh, until my position was phased out. Um, so I was there for eight years. That was the longest I'd ever been anywhere. And I, at the time, I was wondering, you know, well, is anybody going to want somebody in their mid-40s to be their youth and children's pastor. But um, I did, got a call from Petticodiac Baptist Church. So I went to Petticodiac and had a different sort of job there too. I was part-time music director and part-time children's director. I was told this afterwards, somebody in the interview said, well, what is a 45-year-old woman going to do with, with children's ministry? They thought I was too old to be a children's pastor, which is strange because 45 seems quite young to me right now, or a single, I guess it was single was two. Uh, I am single, never married, never brought up children. So how would I know what to do with children? So because I was too old and single, would I know how to do children's ministry? So, and then part-time music director, I got a couple of votes against me because I didn't play the piano. My instruments were guitar, and I played the drums, and I played bass guitar, but I didn't play the piano well enough to play it in church. And they said, we've got three other people in the church who can play the piano. We need somebody to direct the children's choir and the adult choir and lead the worship team. So, But somebody thought, well, because she doesn't play the piano, she can't be music director. So there's all sorts of, I guess, things that people will have against you that are really kind of stupid. One time... I served on a search committee for a church. We were looking for a youth pastor. And the guy we were interviewing, there were people on the search committee that didn't want him because he didn't play the guitar. What does that have to do with, with being a youth pastor? Um, so we get these kind of qualifications that we think people need to have in order to do the job that isn't necessary. So I was at Patakodiak for nine years, over nine years in music and children's ministry. And it was the busiest I have ever been in ministry. I wouldn't have been able to do what I did in Patakodiak if I'd been married or if I had had children. It was just too busy. Now, I'm, I'm not arrive at eight o'clock in the morning kind of person. So I didn't get there early in the morning. But, you know, I'd rush home and have supper and go back uh, because every evening it seemed there was something on. As a married person, I wouldn't have had anything to give to a spouse or to, to children. So I think that was valid for that ministry. It wasn't that the church was saying, you have to do this, 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 and this. It was, I, I put all that work on myself. 
And I think too, being single and being a woman, you can relate to different people better than a, a male pastor can. This really isn't very humble, but when I was at Kodiak, I used to get so many Christmas presents, <laughs> nice things from people. Um, they were givers there, and uh, and that was kind of nice. I had never had any training, some training in pastoral ministry, but not for funerals or ministering to people. I knew how to run children's programs and youth programs, but I didn't know how to do the hands-on ministry kind of things. When I was in Petacodiac, I did those things with Pastor Gord. Gord Cook was there. And I would go to funerals. I would go to the um, grave sites. And so I guess I got more confident. And as I preached more, I enjoyed, I've enjoyed the preaching and visiting in nursing homes never been a problem really, but you kind of, I kind of grew into those things by doing them and by, by, by watching other people, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, so here I am 45 years old and Pastor Gord takes me to my first grave site. I had never been and never done. And it was pouring rain that day <laughs> and windy. We were up on a mountain. And uh, that's the first time I had ever attended a graveside uh, service where, you know, the, the burial took place. Once I had done that and seen that, then it's much easier to do it on your own. After that, I came to Fredericton, Grace Memorial Baptist Church. I said, the only church I haven't worked in now is Brunswick Street in Fredericton, but <laughs> too old for that now. Went to Grace Memorial as pastor of family minister. And that's really the church where I felt more like a pastor. I guess maybe it was my title. And for the first three years I was there, um, I preached quite a bit as well. So I felt it was more like a pastoral call. And so I was there for nine years and four months, my longest ministry, and uh, then retired from there just before COVID, or just as COVID started, actually. They had an outdoor drive through retirement. It was the coolest thing. It took about two hours. People drove through and offered their congratulations and whatever and left cards and gifts. And it was really nice. I think it's a matter of confidence as well as call, knowing for sure that God has called me to ministry. I had, I guess, contemporaries of myself that were role models, even as a teenager. My mentor, we were best friends. My best friend and I, she was a year younger than I was, but we helped each other along in our growth in Christian life. And we served together at camp and we served together in the church and we did music together. And um, so she was kind of a mentor to me at the, just at that young age, because she pushed me along um, to, to do these things and to try these things. And, and then as I was in university, there would be uh, women who were in ministry who I would look up to perhaps. Sandy Sutherland was one of those. She's about my age. And uh, we used to have CE gatherings where there'd be maybe 20 people there. So like I'm, I'm best friends with one of the teenagers in that first church I was in. She's 11 years younger than me, but as you get older, that doesn't make much difference. We're, in, we're involved in the same, in a worship band together. Um, we see each other a lot. It's those kind of relationships that are built and that first ministry was was the one where the strongest, I think, the strongest relationships were built. But there weren't a lot of women around then, and especially in the area. I don't agree with the male bashing 
part of feminism. I felt if I was going to be a pastor, I would have to be better than most pastors, be able to excel. Guys can be failures in ministry, but it's almost like women can't, or else they said, oh, it's just because she's a woman. I think we need to get to the place in the church where men and women are considered equal, where women have the same opportunities as men. And it's not a matter of whether you're a woman, a man, single or married, but God's giftedness and uh, your sense of calling, what God has called you to. Although I had ministry before I was ordained, but when I was at Green Hill Lake Camp that day, and I heard uh, in my mind, you don't want to go to university, you, you want to, your heart's in Christian education ministry, and kind of blew my mind. Just made all the difference in my life, knowing that sense of call was real. Thank you, Marilyn, for sharing your story with our project. If you are enjoying Call to Serve, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and share the episode with others. You can follow Called to Serve on Facebook and Instagram and learn more about the project at calledtoserve.ca.